the Black Arts and Cultural Program of the African Sisters Media Network. And that was Zion Trinity singing opening prayer for the African deity, Eshu Legba, a deity that lets us know that we're always, we always have choices. We are never victims. So we should exercise those choices. And today, go out and vote. <laughs> we are so excited to have in the studio um, for this special broadcast, um, her Majesty Queen Mother uh, Dewati Dazar, um, Hunan Huna the Second. Did I kind of do your name right? <laughs> I just heard it this morning. <laughs> Good morning. Well, yes. Why don't Why don't you say it again properly for us? First of all, good morning, Mister Hicks. Good morning for having me on the show. Uh, oh, you're welcome. My name is. Majesty Queen Mother, Dorothy Desir Huna Huna II. Okay, thank you. And then I believe we're also joined in the studio um, by Yeye uh, Louisa Tish. Alafia. Yeye, are you? Oh, Alafia. I'm, oh, I'm so here. Cool. <laughs> oh, awesome. Um, wow, I'm so excited to talk to both of you um, about um I guess about uh, your spiritual practices and how African diaspora spirituality is the best practice for its citizens' well-being. And um, and this week, um, is, is curated by uh, Tracy Brown, is, is just a phenomenal opportunity to get in touch with, you know, ah, our spiritual selves. Um, so if I could read your bios first, and then we can start the conversation, if that's okay. Sure, Certainly. that's fine with me. That's why I want Tracy. I'm here oh. as well. Oh, hey, Tracy. Um, do you um, do you want to introduce our guests, or do you want me to read the bios that I pulled up from websites? <laughs> Cause, hmm. Go ahead and read the bios, please. Okay. All right. Um, so um, uh, I'm reading yours, uh, Queen Mother, from Lulu.com. Um, Could this more extensive than than the one that um, I found? I wanted people to sort of have a more a better a breath of some of your work. Um, it's so magnificent. Um, so um, the author and photographer, um, Queen Mother, Her Majesty Queen Mother of the Royal Palace of Dada Dagbo 
and I'm going to mess it up again, Ahunan, Ahuna the second of Wida Benin, um, based in West Africa and the United States. She is a human rights activist, educator, curator, and educator who monitors memorials, monuments, and historic sites related to the Ma'afa of the transatlantic and other places of captivity for African descendants. She travels extensively and lectures on cultural and human rights, public art, contemporary art, and traditional African-based spiritual systems. The founder of the Afro-Atlantic Theologies and Treaties Institute uh, is a high priest, that is uh, Amambo Asagwe in Haitian voodoo, and is the ambassador of the Grand Council of Voodoo. So again, um, welcome. And uh, Yeye Louisa T is a teacher, dancer, storyteller, and high priestess. She is also an author, most notably of Jambalaya, The Natural Woman's Book of Personal Charms and Practice, Practical Rituals. Born in New Orleans, Louisiana, her father was an African Methodist Episcopal and her mother was Catholic of Haitian, French, and Choctaw heritage. Yeye Tish is a uh, Iyanifa and Oshun chief in Yoruba tradition. Yeye Tish is one of the most well-known Yoruba priestesses worldwide who is celebrated internationally in goddess circles as a writer and a ritual maker. She quite literally... Uh, is a legendary woman of great character and exceedingly positive impact for this generation of, of all time. And and I'm reading from Yeye Tisha's um, website, yeyeluisatish.com. So perhaps um, maybe, Tracy, we, you can give us the context of, of this week that you choreographed and which, which opens tomorrow with a wonderful celebration and welcome uh, to the Queen Mother. Absolutely. Thank you again for having us on, Wanda. So this week is designed to not only celebrate the presence of the Queen Mother in the Bay Area, this is her first major event after her coronation. So we're really, really blessed to have her fresh off of um, such an important milestone in her life and in the um, future of uh, African spiritual outreach, so to speak. Um, in the world. Um, that's, those are my words, not, not hers. But um, the other thing that's important about this week is um, I've been blessed to have the opportunity to gather together a um, wonderful collection of practitioner, leader, scholar, um, just wonderful people who are who have created um, some wonderful materials for people to learn from. They are um, folks like uh, Yeye Tish and Baba Wade Nobles and Ia Nedra um, and uh, Ia Sushil Bibb. They've all created a host of materials that give folks the opportunity to learn more about our traditions um, in a safe space. Um, I have personal experience with each of them, and um, I find them and know them in my heart and in my experience to be very honorable practitioners, and um, it's important to me to do what I can to promote their work and ensure that uh, as many people as possible have access to learning more about our traditions, um, particularly 
through non-jaundiced eyes. You know, our tradition gets such a bum rap that um, mm-hmm. I wanted them to have the opportunity to not only speak about the traditions, but also let people know how they can learn more from them at a later date. So we start with our um, welcome reception tomorrow, which is going to be at the Green Lining Institute in downtown Oakland. This is a great time for people to come out with the families, bring the kids, and um, to have an opportunity to welcome the Queen Mother to the Bay Area. Excuse me, to the Bay Area. And then um, on Friday, we have a film showing um, of In Search of Wudun, which is a film done by um, Jaman Honshu, the brother who starred in Amistad. And it really, I think, is a wonderful, um, creates a wonderful uh, talking opportunity for a sort of conversation piece um, to talk about African spirituality. And, and, and following that will be a panel um, to discuss cultural reclamation as a revolutionary act from the perspective of all of the, um, all of the uh, panelists. And then on Saturday, we have a full-day workshop that is being led by the Queen Mother herself at the Movement Strategy Center, also in downtown Oakland on 14th Street. And uh, that day, people will, you know, the title of the workshop is Unleash the Voodoo in You. So people will have an opportunity to learn about um, the spirit within them and and, uh, learn some uh, activities and some rituals and practices that they can carry out to um, uncover and, um, you know, release that, that energy that it, it exists within them. And then on Sunday, we have um, a closing panel at Red Bay Coffee in East Oakland at their roastery on East 10th Street. Um, and it, the title of the panel is Access, uh, Beyond, the Narrative, Beyond the Narrative, Accessing Ancient Wisdom for Contemporary Healing and Empowerment. Um, so, so many of our tools are exactly what people are starving for out here, um, and they don't understand that, you know, our practices aren't just historical and they aren't just for, you know, they aren't just old stuff. They really are, uh, they can be used for our success today. So that's the whole gist of the week. But it's really mm-hmm. just about getting the right tools in everybody's hand and, and helping people to heal their relationship with our tradition. Right. What what time is the uh, the welcome uh, to the uh, in Her Majesty uh, Queen Mother tomorrow at Greenlining? And where is Greenlining? Greenlining Institute is in downtown uh, Oakland, and uh, I want to say it's three sixty Fourteenth Street. But um, it starts at 6.30 p.m. And there's going to be a special performance by Rala Tuleman, um, mm-hmm. the Haitian um, dance company. And Miss um, Always is doing the food. So it's, it's going to be very nice. Right. At 6.30 yeah. p.m. is the opening. And it's free. And then on Friday at um, Berkeley Art Museum Pacific Film Archive, um, BAM PFA, um, the, the film is at 4 p.m. if I'm reading it correctly. Is that right? Mm-hmm. 4 p.m. Okay. Yep. And it's between 8 and $14, depending on if you're a senior, student, et cetera. Okay. All right. Super. And uh, and then the uh, the workshop um, is um, on Saturday, um, Unleashing the Voodoo in You. Um, I don't remember the time. From, could you tell people the time again? Oh, sure. It's at 9 
a.m. Um, okay. It's at 9 a.m. on uh, on Saturday. So it okay. starts at 9 a.m. So folks should plan to get there by about 8.45. Okay, cool. And then if you could give the website or for that, so that people could have the whole thing, like, right in front of them and, yes. just, and, and they could buy tickets if they need to. Yes, everybody should register for everything because we are um, running out of space. Sunday is completely okay. full. Um, and uh, so, it, you know, if they don't want to be left out in the cold, they need to make sure they register, especially for the workshop on Saturday because it is growing in popularity and we only have so many speakers. Okay. And and how do they do that, Tracy? Oh, sorry. If you go to Eventbrite and search Voodoo, um, V-O-D-O-U, you'll find all of the events, and they'll be able to register there and pay for their workshop and also make donations for the other events if they'd like. Okay, cool. Yeah, I just wanted to get the business, you know, out of the way so people could, like, you know, just focus on, on these wonderful conversations that we're getting ready to have now. And, Tracy, um, uh, tell tell our audience a little bit about, how you come to, um, you know, this African spiritual practices and, and knowing these wonderful um, uh, panelists and, and these wonderful women that are on our, our program this morning. So I, that is a, that is a very long story. Our, our, many of our paths have crossed back and forth. You know, the Bay Area is almost like um, Mayberry, or I call it the Mayberry area, <laughs> because it's like a small town, so everybody kind of knows everybody. So I grew up in Wajumbe, and um, I was exposed to people who were um, African traditionalists and dancers and artists, et cetera, um, for many, many years. But um, I, through community work and, um, and, you know, various other things, I crossed paths with all of the panelists um, with the exception of the Queen Mother, I actually reached out to her a couple of years ago because I just fell in love with her work around spiritual reparations and um, and around all of her empowerment work around African spirituality. So um, she was gracious enough to agree to come here, and I am uh, I'm thankful for having the opportunity to work with her. Awesome, awesome. And I just want to, for an ashe for um, Dr. Namsisi uh, Caillou, when you just mentioned Wajumbe, um, so ashe for her her work and memory. Um, so, uh, Queen Mother, I was wondering if maybe you could start and just talk to um, our audience about about yourself, give us some of your, you know, sort of uh, background, and, and talk to us about um, uh, what is Vudun and um, and and... Yeah, and and maybe you could talk about that in connection to um, African uh, spiritual systems and technologies. Okay. Okay. Um, First, let me say um, I'm so grateful to be on the line with uh, uh, because I've I've read uh, your work and uh, it's uh, inspirational, and so it's a real honor and pleasure to, to be on the line with you. I look forward to meeting you. It is a pleasure to be in touch with you, Queen Mother, and I'm I'm looking forward to a cup of tea together. Yes, indeed. <laughs> um, well, I I was born in Port Plant, Haiti, um, 
my mother is uh, was my late mother of um, uh, Cuban, Afro-Cuban. My my father, uh, Haitian man, late father too. We both rest in peace. Um, and um, you know, came to this country uh, very young. Um, no, but as a, a middle-class Haitian, I was um, not, unlike a lot of people, led to think that uh, voodoo was something that only the illiterate, um, uneducated, you know, the poor did. Um, within my home and in, in IT at that time, it wasn't... It wasn't seen as as evil, but it was just as something that you know nobody does. Um, and uh, uh, when I came here, I have I have siblings. We were, but they were born here. My parents chose to raise them as Americans and to raise to to, to raise me chose to raise me as as a, a Haitian. I'm not sure what the logic behind all of that was. But what it did end up doing is making sure that I knew exactly what my roots are. And um, and even though I went to, to Catholic school for a while because my mom was devout uh, uh, Roman Catholic, um, my father was an atheist, and I ended up questioning a lot of things. And so at the age of 10, I decided things were not making sense in terms of, of the Bible and uh, my understanding of what God was and my understanding of history and economics and, and other things. Um, uh, and just began questioning a lot. And um, so by the time I was, you know, in high school, I was, I was done. I was done and was an atheist for many years of my life. Um, uh, I ended up changing uh, dramatically uh, in my mid to late 30s, uh, when a number of the elders in my family began uh, dying, and um, while I've always, I've always had, you know, dreams that were clairvoyant in nature, dreams that were, um, I don't know, that that reveals things I could only describe as mysteries um, to me. Things just intensified and went to another level altogether um, uh, with the, the the passing of these elders, and um, and I began to realize that uh, I was dreaming other people's dreams, um, in the sense that I, I had knowledge of of, of spirit and, and specifically Orisha that nobody ever talked to me about, nobody ever told me. Um, uh, I, I, I dreamt of um, uh, 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 certain rituals that I'd never been exposed to. Um, I would go to certain places like museums and looking at sacred African objects, and I'd, you know, come home later that day in my sleep, those, those same objects would be talking to me. Um, and so uh, uh, to make sense of it, um, I began asking some of my friends who, you know, I called them the Yoruba Mafia because they were always dressed in white and they had all them funny-looking leaves around their necks. <laughs> so um, I said, if anybody could help me, it might be those people. <laughs> and, uh, 
and um, because I wasn't I wasn't very much involved in the, the Haitian uh, community, at least not that way. Um, and so uh, yeah, and so I began talking to uh, to certain individuals. And um, long story short, uh, uh, you know, because you, you, you got to go back home. I found my way back home um, in terms of the Haitian spiritual community. Uh, there were some priests coming in from from Haiti, voodoo priests that were having a, a summit on uh, economic development and and voodoo. I was like, what? what? Y'all put those two things together? <laughs> um, and 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 the fact that we can take spirituality and connect it to real life politics um, was something that mattered to me uh, a great deal. That's what ca- caught my attention. Um, and and I very quickly became uh, the, the the head of the New York chapter that they were setting up, and became initiated um, uh, into the priesthood, and later, you know, consecrated and ordained. Um, and what Voodoo is has been uh, truly a journey of of um, of revelations of of, of ongoing uh, sorts. Um, Revelations. Uh, I already spoke about the dreams that I had at night, um, but even uh, messages, signs that were presented in the day, things that I saw uh, with people, um, uh, just little things that were connecting, um, uh, uh, sort of sort of stitching one one um, uh, an understanding of what divine energy was about one by one you know, stitch by stitch, pearl by pearl, uh, so to say. Uh, and, um, uh, and, and, you know, as an atheist, um, I, I'm still questioning um, what I came to believe spiritually. Uh, it took a long time to, to, to reconcile those two elements of, of my being. And so that, that's part of what voodoo is, is this, this process of questioning and searching questioning and searching um, and, and looking and delving. And uh, it's like being uh, that, that bird that is constantly pecking away at the dirt, um, looking for something to eat and finally does find something. Um, uh, so simply put, voodoo is that process of searching that uh, ultimately leads to, to one's healing and, uh, and, and leads to finding peace and inner harmony. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you so much. Um, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So good. It's so good to have you in the studio. It's been a minute. Yeah, it's been a little while, but I'm here. Yes, you are. So excited. Um, so, um, yeah, yeah. For our audience that maybe um hasn't heard you talk about um your life, um you know um cuz we've had you on a few times could you maybe um you know tell us about um about growing up in New Orleans um your mom and with your mom and your dad and and i guess sister and um yeah and your spiritual practices well you know i think the first thing that i should say is that mm-hmm. what queen mother just described as her experience is mm-hmm. pretty much uh, I've come to understand that that is the standard operational procedure 
that the ancestors, the Orishas, and the Loas use to identify, seduce, and employ the people who are supposed to do this work. As I was listening to her, I was saying, mm-hmm, that happened to me. Yeah, that's the way that goes. Yeah, it took a, you know, the alienation has to come in. It it takes a minute to go on the quest. The dreams are very, very real. And, you know, no matter what setting you're growing up in, whether it is in in Haiti or in New Orleans or in Cuba or in Africa, you know, the, the spirits, seem to have um, an agenda that they fulfill with you, you know. So, you know, in my case, it was I was in the segregated South. I was a very curious, um, a very curious child surrounded by adults who they themselves did not realize that they had maintained a lot of retentions of African culture in their daily behavior, you know. My mother and her friends interpreted dreams. Um, We talked to the bullfrogs and the fish uh, in the bayou water, you know. uh, They did home remedies. I saw them them, um, make a circle of salt one time and make rain. And, you know, in my case, there was also... Uh, remnants of Native American practice in that my mother made moccasins and there was uh, and we had acorn bread and there were you know stories about about her mother but you know under Christianity people had been taught to uh, treat our African retentions with suspicious secrecy or straight-out hostility, yet at the same time, at the same time, if somebody um, was sick and the doctor couldn't help them, if somebody was forlorn and their spirits couldn't be lifted, um, people would, you know, very good Catholic people, very good Protestant people would find their way to the root doctor, to the conjure woman, to solve that problem. And, you know, being a very inquisitive child who was not allowed to question my elders about anything, it turned me into um, a, a an elegant eavesdropper. I eavesdropped on <laughs> I eavesdropped on my elders and began to put um two and two together and come up with five and um to do um, a search, you know. Now, when you are in school, the contradiction that you come up against is the popular culture is saying that African people haven't contributed anything, whatever we have is spookism and that kind of thing. And at the same time, if you are reading the writings of anthropologists, if you're reading the writings of psychologists, if you're reading the writings of other professional people, including artists, you come to realize that everything that they're talking about has its roots in your own culture. It has its roots in what has come out of Africa. And um, so 
I sort of started out with um, eavesdropping on my elders and on the few occasions when I could ask them, well, why do you all sit around interpreting dreams or why do you think this, that, or the other? They would say, because that's what the old folks say. And so I would venture to speak to somebody older than my mama. In this case, it was Mama Ludie, who was over 100 years old, and her answer was, that's what the old folks say. And so I started looking for these old folks who had been presenting themselves as a massive brown movement under my bed as a child. My ancestors were oozing out from under the bed like toothpaste coming out of a tube and and touching me and letting me know that there was more going on than was on the surface and that my people were not at all like the people I saw on television, right? But the more I searched, uh, then I came to realize that my culture was uh, was very much grounded in Haitian culture because New Orleans in the 50s was more a city of the Caribbean than of, um, say, North America or Western um, America. And then when I was blessed to um, get a scholarship to dance with Catherine Dunham, the whole world woke up, and I saw the connection between uh, the Caribbean and Africa and Africa and and the whole universe. But like like Queen Mother, I would have these dreams. I remember one, I used to have this dream where I was with a group of women in white, and we were crossing a bridge, and we would come to the end of the bridge, and there was this beautiful mountain, and the women would extend their arms and sing something, and when they sang that something, water came rolling down the mountain, and we were all washed. It was it was many, many years before I came to realize that that's the ritual bath they do in Haiti at Sidel. You know, so I think to the people who are listening, and and to go straight to Tracy's point, the dreams and the visions that you are having are not nightmares. It doesn't mean that you're crazy. You are being called by the ancestors and the spirits, and you are very, very fortunate that you're going to be able to attend this event and sit in the presence of people who fought the good fight to be able to legitimize our tradition. And, you know, from time to time, people come up to me with all kinds of questions. There are those who say that they are interested in initiation, and here is your opportunity. Here is your opportunity to make a real connection with real people to get off of the Internet and stop following these jokers on YouTube and to come and sit with real elders and go forward. Church. <laughs> okay, you know, can can I get a witness? <laughs> you know, it's that time. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> um, I was wondering if you both could continue this conversation looking at um I remember yeah, yeah, you would talk about how um 
there there's no guesswork. Um, um, there's a certainty um, in Ifa. Like you don't have to wonder if you're if you're going the right way. You can talk directly to you know to the deities and get guidance like right in the moment. And um, and I was just wondering if you could talk about you know sort of you know Ifa. Um, and and then also uh, maybe you know sort of explain what it means and and divination um, and again picking up on what you said, Queen Mother, about divine energy and and um, I was uh, I saw I watched the film before um, we to prepare for for this conversation as well as a video with you, Queen Mother, and you were in conversation with um, I'm not certain exactly who the person was, but uh, you were talking about you know sort of um, you know, having um, you know, um a father who was Haitian and a mother who was Cuban and and yet not feeling um, you know, that um being a part of the Latin diaspora didn't speak to you culturally, um, uh, because of the representation there. Um but anyway I was just thinking about sort of um what I was what I saw in the film, looking at about plants and how Voodoo is about plants and, and the plants are the medicine. And so anyway, I've got a lot of lot of things squirreling around in that question. But the first part of it was was Ifa. Um who do you want to respond in what order uh 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 one? Well yeah, yeah, since you're since you're speaking you can start. Okay. So you know what I've been over the years. I've been trying to find the right language to explain to people what uh, what this is. Okay, because um, most of us who have a Western education uh, have become academented. You know, uh, they've twisted our brains so that you can't get to the essential truth. And so sometimes people say, "Well, I wanna, I wanna get an E5 reading so I can have my fortune told." Okay, that is not what this is. Okay, E5 and all of our oracles are are basically um, a way to tune into the universal laws that are in place and to look at them through the ecological and cultural lens that speaks most clearly to us. Uh, I, what I always insist upon is that if someone gets a reading and they get a clear reading, I want them to take notes. I want them to follow up on their bows. I want them to record how they felt, and I want them to record what changes occurred in their life. Never mind this, you know, running from one priest to another, throwing money at people, hoping somebody will tell you the lie that you want to hear. No. Uh, If you are going to deal in this realm, what you need to understand is that these divination sessions, we open the portal between heaven and earth, we invoke the surviving intelligence of the ancestors. We connect with the power of nature and spirit. And then if you pay attention, you will do what I call energy 
pattern tracking. Energy pattern tracking. You will come to understand bits and pieces of your contract with creation. You came in here with a contract with creation, okay? And consulting Ifa and the other oracles is a way to check in on what kind of progress you're making, get some guidance and some assistance, and move some energy. So sometimes I have to say to people that our oracles are there as as um, spiritual metaphysics. You know, there's certain laws where, sure, your, your faith and, and your belief help to manifest the energy, but, you know, those of us who have been subjected to New Age bullshit have been told that nothing exists if you don't believe in it. So when people come to me with that, I say, I want you to go out there and stand at the edge of the ocean and tell you, my, yeah, you don't believe in her and see if the ocean disappears. You see what I'm saying? We need to understand that we live under universal law, that we have been blessed with systems for getting guidance and spirits who will give us assistance. I don't know how I'm going to uh, come back <laughs> at that visit. But she's absolutely right. Um, and the words, there's one word that kept coming up over and over and over again, that's the word systems. Yes. It means this is a science. It means that there is an, an exactitude, a meticulousness, a process of, of inquiry, um, um, a process of, 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 of testing and, and uh, setting up checks and balances that has That's been right. put in place for, for millennia. That's right. You know, this isn't something that was invented yesterday. Um, this isn't something that happened when... Um, you know the the the, the first group of of, uh, of African Americans went to 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 Cuba or to Nigeria and and got initiated. It isn't a, it isn't something that happened even when the first Africans arrived in the Americas. It, it's been there forever. That's right. um, and or systems of divination are known by many many names. Um, I think Ifa is what is best known uh, here. Um, uh, but processes of divination, be they with uh, uh, cowrie shells, be they with the epele, um, uh, uh, be it with um, uh, the joints of animals. And, right. and guess what I recently discovered? Um, I was eating some uh, pistachio chips, and the pistachio uh, shells started talking to me. <laughs> Literally. Mm-hmm. And they said... Uh, we can be used for divination too. Um, That's right. And I was like, oh, oh, Miss Ami? So I was like, don't leave us out of this because we are a binary system of checks and balances, a two of positive negatives of zeros and ones. We are a code. And so, um, or, or it can be used for the kind of coding that exists in the divination system. Um, uh, one that is again tapped into who we are, tapped into um, uh, the, the the place that we're in, uh, t- tapped into uh, where we are situated at particular 
uh, point in time in our lives, um, uh, tapped into our lives before our lives, uh, or, uh, you know, as we understand it, tapped into the lives of the lives of those who came um, before us. Um, and, and also, in some miraculous way, tapped into the lives of those who will come after us. Um, and so, you know, it is, it's a kind of like a, an algorithm that um, is, is used to help us to better monitor uh, um, who we are and what is it that we're supposed to do uh, in the world, how we are supposed to respond to things. Um, and um, uh, we would know this. This would not be anything new for us. We would know this. But for an epic tragedy in our history in terms of the enslavement of Africans, and the forced conversion of Africans to, to Christianity, um, uh, the, the attempts at cultural and actual physical genocide. We would have Ooh. known all of this because the naming ceremonies, who we are, uh, you spoke of, uh, of a contract. I, I refer to it as a prenatal contract. Mm-hmm. Prenatal. When right. you were born, you, you already made an agreement with divine. You already made an agreement with um with spirit with your ancestors, um saying okay I'm gonna be X when I come out. Um in in my case, apparently I had decided I was going to be a priest and but yep. in a very particular kind of priest. Um but it took me a long time to figure that out. Why? Because I was uh I was cut off from from the process of knowing my family was cut off from um, being able to, to, to tap into, into our African spiritual systems to do that. Why? Because there were these essentially pogroms where in the 1930s, the rejeté the, the, the or the rejection of culture, the rejection of ourselves, rejection of our Africans, and the rejection of our understanding and our relationship with God as African people took place in IET. It wasn't the first time. It had happened multiple times um, uh, by by members of the church uh, acting in extremely unchristian-like manners. Um, you know, tearing down uh, altars, uh, massacring people, destroying sacred objects and trees. Um, and this is something that still goes on. And in fact, it's 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 not going on um, uh, as much in IT as much as it is uh, in 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 Brazil. Um, look at what's mm-hmm. happening to the Candomblé houses there by the evangelicals. It's horrible. So if you don't uh, believe you've been cut off in the past, look at what's happening now. Another right. group of African people mm-hmm. um, uh, also being destroyed. So we we get cut off again from ourselves, from spirit that way. And the divination process allows us to come back Home. It is a portal. It is a way back in. It's in. It's it's it, it is why we have to pay homage to Ishu, um to Papa Legba, um, uh, to get back to that place, to that opening where transformation can take place, and the kinds of trans- transformations that allow us to to become empowered. Um, you know, or if we lose our way, um, to to get back on the good foot. You know, <laughs> and 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 know how how to proceed. Now, now, sometimes things ain't going to be good at the end. Uh-huh. It's just not going to end up being a, a party. But you know what? You have a choice. 
Um, yeah. If you know things are not going to be um, as you had planned, as you would hope for, um, how you get there, how you get there, that you terminate the thing with grace, that, that, that you, 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 you leave in a spirit of love, um, that you leave with, 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 with hope, with the knowledge that next time around things will be better. Next time around, I'll be smarter about it. Next time around, I won't do that anymore. Um, then you become a better governor of your life. Mm. And, uh, and being the issue of governance, you know, that's what, for me, Isa is about. Um, that is what any process of delineation is about, to be able to manage and control and take shape and take hold of, of your destiny. Um, and, that, and, and that's what leads, and that's part of the, 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 this matter of spiritual reparations. You know, we've we got to be spiritually liberated people. And, 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 and fa, um, divination um, uh, practices, working with the oracle, is a means of, of doing that, of liberating ourselves um, with the knowledge that it provides, with the directives that learned elders can can um, give us in terms of you know you need to make this uh, uh, offering or you need you don't have to worry about X Y Z but you should follow up on um, whatever it is. Um, so when when we are when we have that knowledge when we procure that knowledge and we have the courage to act on what we're told we liberate ourselves um, we repair ourselves. And um, that's a powerful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And for some, it is a dangerous thing. Mm. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. We repair ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hmm. I, I was just taking notes as both of you were speaking. And um, sort of what, what really resonates, um, the whole idea of a black people code, just thinking about that. Because um, that's that's sort of like um, it's a part of the vernacular now, you know, coding and black people code and these other people code. But just thinking about the code, you know, the signature of humanity that resides within our spirit. And if we knew the code, yeah. we could program it right, you know. <laughs> um, exactly. Exactly. In fact, if I may, um, I have a book that's coming out. Um, any day now, uh, redlining a Holocaust oh. memorials and the people of the Atlantic, mm-hmm. and there are a series of interrelated essays um, that talk about current uh, struggles of people of African descent, uh, uh, our, our human rights struggles. But it's tied in with spirituality. It's tied into monuments and memorials mm-hmm. of the Maafa uh, of the of the transatlantic. Um, and one of the things I talk about is the Côte Noire. C-O-D-E-Y-N-O-I-R, the black codes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. The black codes that us to uh, become uh, a Christian, the black codes that uh, uh, allowed um, uh, oppressors, white, uh, um, European oppressors specifically, to dehumanize us, to maim us, to, 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 to mangle us, to, un, uh, to take away our spaces, of, of creativity, of love, of um, uh, of just existing in the world. That's their code. It's a code of perversion. Um, and I play with the idea of the code noir, 
<laughs> which is code K-O-D, Noir, which is uh, uh, N-W-A, um, you know, playing with, uh, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> N-W-A. <laughs> it's coming up with an attitude. But maybe it is. At the end of the day, um, not that that word, you know, you guys ever use in a positive way, but you know what I mean. Sometimes we got to give ourselves a little space to play with things. Um, mm-hmm. um, but meaning black, which is what IT chose to call herself as a black republic. You know, that right. everybody who is a free person was with a neg. You know, um, we were black men and women. And so the idea of the Côte Noir, um would be what we and how we define ourselves as, as human beings, as, as Africans. Um, uh, what does humanity look like through our lens? Um, uh, the Codenois the is what the Clavis are about. You, you spoke earlier of me not fully embracing my, my Latino uh, heritage, um, not that I'm not aware of it, but because, you know, I, I didn't look like a woman that they would show on television, um, you know, blonde and blue-green hazel eyes, um, even if it's fake. Blonde, <laughs> hazel eyes. That, that wasn't me. That's not what my mother looked like. Um, uh, but the but the clavis. And when I hear song, when I hear salsa, when I hear um, black music from Cuba um, and from other um, uh, places where Africans ended up speaking Spanish, um, or some combination of uh, some Creole that that is is Spanish oriented. Um, Watch my feet, watch my shoulders start moving instinctively because that music and the sacred sounds in there are a key. It is the code that unlocks something in me, that unlocks and liberates me. Um, so we need to sit down with our, our elders. Um, uh, we need to have a, a younger generation of, of people. We, we need to have our, our, our peers sit down and listen and work and talk with us and to be open um, uh, to, to receiving and sharing the knowledge that we, we have. Um, you know, you better ask yourself, why, why is this knowledge? Why uh, is, again, this exquisitely cited um, definition of what Ifa is, what its relationship is, its significance is? Why doesn't everybody know what Yehye has said? Why was that buried somewhere? Um, mm-hmm. You know, we have to ask ourselves why, and, and and who benefits from our suppression that way, from us having this kind of subaltern existence. We're underground, where we we don't take pride in in, in ourselves as African descendants. Um, so this code, the code noir, <laughs> this code. The, uh, it, it has to be subverted. It has to be subverted in 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 a way that's positive. And for you younger people out there who are listening, and you know, maybe it's in, it's the idea of and to go back to the to the N word, um, nigger versus nigga. Um, you know, some of y'all claim that the A at the end um, is a, somehow affirmative and reassuring and it is about fraternity and brotherly love, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Whereas the EG definition of it is, a, is, is, is screwed up, that's racist, that's ugly. I understand mm-hmm. the rationale and the 
of it. I don't necessarily agree with it, but I understand the rationale and the logic of it. But we have always done that. We've always reappropriated stuff that was ours, our things that were taken away from us. We've turned things around. We've turned them inside out. We've made them his uncle hit in, in, in that way. There's a tool of survival. Um, and that is a tool of, of liberation. And, and so everything that you have mislearned, um, you've been miseducated towards, you need to unlearn and, and relearn. And this fantastic week that uh, Sister Tracy Brown has organized for us um, is a great joy, not only for, for us personally, because some of us are going to be meeting for the first time uh, after reading or hearing or seeing something about the other person for, for, for some time, we're, we're going to be connected. That in of itself is powerful. But the fact that we'll be able to, to communicate and connect intergenerationally, um, uh, uh, intra-faithfully, interfaithfully uh, is, is an incredibly powerful thing. It is a transformative space that is being created. And so don't, don't miss this opportunity to join us. Mm. Yeah. Um, how much more time do you have? Should we be wrapping up? I don't want to keep you um, too long. I just want to know when the book will be available because uh, some of my <laughs> students are very involved in decolonizing education, and it mm-hmm. sounds like a text to me. Uh, well, as my Muslim brothers and sisters would say, <laughs> inshallah, by the end of this week, <laughs> it will be available online, I'll send the link. Okay, uh, yes. okay. We'll be able to get it at the uh, conference. Uh, I hope that we'll be able to, but mm, I might only have a yeah to, to issue with the, the, the publisher and logistics. But I should have one sample people can look at, um, and and I can order? I can order. We can free order the book. Okay, okay. Yeah. So my students who are listening, get on over there and put in your order because for sure uh, it's going to become required reading. And, thank and, you um, very much. Thank you, Yeye. I want to point out also that um, whenever the the launch, the formal launch of the book happens, because again, you know, sometimes we working with the working with working through the system and working around the system. But um, we'll definitely send out an e blast, so um, everybody okay. should be sure that they are registered for the events. Because if you register for the events, you'll get the e blast updates about the different goings on of the panelists and also definitely get a special message about the formal come in. book. Okay, um, Queen Mother, so. I really come on in, the door is unlocked. Okay, I I got to go. I got to go. My uh my therapist is here. Uh okay, I am yeah, recovering yeah. from surgery so mm-hmm. I have to go. Okay. Okay. All right. Well thank you so much, Yeah for joining us and will we see you tomorrow? Yeah, definitely. Okay, excellent, excellent. We'll look forward to that. I hope you have a good day. Bye-bye. Pleasure. Bye. Peace and blessings. Bye. Bye. Uh, And Mother. also have... Yes. Yes. Yeah, we also have another set of appointments, so if we could wrap up the call, that would be great. Oh, no problem. I I gave you two hours. I I knew I wasn't going to get it, but you never know. (laughs) (laughs) 
Queen Mother, wow, it's been really wonderful um, speaking to you. Um, wow, it's going to be really great. Tracy, so much. thank you so much for, um, you know, curating such a wonderful week for us. Um, I wanted, wanted to know if you could talk a little bit about um, uh, being a woman in this tradition. This is um, International Women's History Month, and uh, International Women's Day is the weekend that you're um, going to be um, giving the the, the workshop, and then there's the community panel that, that Sunday. And I just wanted, um, since, you know, we're in that particular portal right now, um, thinking about women, um, and this also is the centennial of women getting the vote here in this nation. Um, just wondering if you could talk a little bit about being a woman in this tradition and um, and sort of being in this form, sort of um, how does that you know, privilege privilege you to certain things. Well, um, you know, it's it's a, it's an important question. It's an interesting question um, because it, in Voodoo, in Haitian Voodoo, anyhow, um, women are are who are, are, are priests, especially, are in some ways considered more uh, better receivers um, and better responders to to spirit than than men. Um, and in voodoo, again, I'm emphasizing Haitian voodoo, um, what I'm finding it's not quite the same in, um, in, our, uh, in, the, in the African system, um, that men and women are equal. Um, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's a democratic process. Um, what we do, what we say, um, that matters as much, if not more so, than our brothers. Um, and at the same time, there are other structural issues that work to disempower us. Uh, for instance, um, you know, I'm the first Haitian woman to be enthroned anywhere on the African continent in the hundreds of years that Africans have been going back and forth, um, forcefully and otherwise, um, to the continent. But I'm also the first woman since the end of the 19th century to be uh, crowned as Pojito or, or Queen Mother in Benin. Um, and uh, so on, on one hand, while you find lots of priestesses and, and adepts um, and people doing some of the, very, the hardest work in terms of um, the tradition, uh, you know, on one level of society, on another level of society, uh, the visibility of women is is um, is uh, uh, easy faced. You know, we're, we're we're not as prominently seen, is not as prominently engaged as uh, as we should be. Um, the mere fact that there are babalao, which are men, um, uh, more than you find uh, the idea of an ialao doesn't even exist. But the babalao being a, a, a particular rank and status in the Lukumi and, and other African-based traditions um, that makes it like, you know, the all-boys club. Um, uh, we have Baba Luisha who do divination work, but Baba Laos also do divination work. Um, uh, and they do other kinds of work, but it keeps them in charge. So it makes men in charge more than, um, than women. The, the, the space of, of, of femininity is not even allowed to, allowed on a certain level. So there are in, inequalities um, uh, in our space, 
there are things that um, need to be remedied. Um, people don't pay attention to the system. The system always has male and female energy working in concert together. Uh, um, you know, where you find a male orisha or a male voodoo, you find the female counterpart. And in, in, in our system, the Haitian uh, system, both in voodoo in general, both sides of the Atlantic, you have Aida Wedo, which is the male serpent, and Dambala, uh, I'm sorry, the female serpent, and uh, Dambala Wedo, the male serpent, who were charged by God to, to hold the universe together. Male, female. In terms that other people might understand, yin and yang. But it's positive, negative, um, not, not negative in the bad way, um, um, but, uh, you know, presence and absence, hot and cold, those, are, those kinds of polemics, uh, that is what is at, at, at work. It's always male and, and female. And so we, we, we have to strive, each of us, individually, but as a community, to make sure that um, the, 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 the divine feminine is recognized and embraced because the principles are there in the traditions. Uh, our societies oftentimes um, give us an excuse to ignore them. So that's, that's something we all got to put in our pipes and smoke. <laughs> uh, thank you. Are you still dreaming, um, uh, Queen Mother? Oh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. In fact, uh, uh, I, 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 I need to, to speak to some people in Benin um, because uh, I've noticed that since my enthronement, um, I do more astro travel, if you will, um, mm. than before. Um, so my dreams are taking me directly in, in touch with certain people, with certain energies. Um, and so I wake up with my heart racing, <laughs> you know, because I am that close um, to, to a particular person. Um, I, am, I am that connected to some profound experience that has happened uh, in their lives. Um, and so um, I don't want to be waking up, waking up with my heart racing all the time <laughs> like that. Um, and so as I, as I grow and my, 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 my status, my stature becomes, I guess, more elevated, um, I need another body of knowledge um, and, and mechanisms of protection and guidance that are going to help me operate on that level too. Um, so spirit speaks to me in dreams and in the Haitian culture, we, we say those, those of us who are most loved are spoken to in our dreams um, because you don't forget. You can't forget what you experienced there. You're very much um, awake. Uh, you're very much awake at that state. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and so I, I don't forget any of these uh, exchanges that I'm having with, with various people and, and how, it, again, this, this is occurring. Um, so, um, yeah, <laughs> the dreams are intensifying. <laughs> but yeah, but, but it's a beautiful thing because, again, it's about how 
we continue to grow and evolve. Um, and, and it is with the intent of becoming our best selves, mm-hmm. of reaching out to, to connecting with, with Papa Loco, um, uh, who is the, the, the patron voodoo, the patron loi of, of voodooisa. So, uh, yes, <laughs> it continues. Right, thank you. Well, I know um, you so have to go, but I was wondering, in, in any of your, um, Tracy, in any of your um, uh, assemblies um, this week, are you going to talk at all about, about the reading um, for the year um, that happens in um, in December, sort of like what the forecast is? Some and of not, the um, may mention it during the time, but um, the readings for the year happen um, in different places. So there's not one, any one particular reading, um, you know, but the, the readings happen in, in, you know, various, various places. So um, some of the practitioners may mention it, but um, mm-hmm. it's not like something that will be, um, you know, necessarily handed out or covered in full. Um, because there are there are various readings from various houses, so right. But okay. um, but I do again want to thank you so much, Wanda, for having us on the show, and we certainly, certainly, certainly hope to see you at the events this oh. week. And uh, thank you also for holding it down and always covering um, all the the important, and very interesting topics, and also for all the work you do around the Mafa. Oh, you're quite welcome, and and thank you, thank you so much, so much. Um, uh, Queen Mother, you know, for joining us uh, in the Bay Area. It's just going to be such a rich week um, coming out of, you know, um, you know, Black History Month, and we had an extra day, and now we get you, and it's just like, oh, it just keeps going, right? This is the next week. <laughs> so it's really, really wonderful. Thank you, Tracy, facilitating this. Of course. Thanks again, Wanda. See you soon. All right. Okay, you take a care. Peace and love. Oh, and just remind everybody to go to eventbrite.com and search V-O-D-O-U to find all of the events and get signed up. Okay. All right, super. Okay, you have a good rest of the day. Look forward to seeing you tomorrow. All right, now, thanks. Bye. Bye. Peace and blessings. So we're going to conclude um, this uh this wonderful special broadcast with um, Regina Bree Love's um, Breathe.
Choreographers Festival here and now continues this week, weekend three at Mills College. Um, last weekend, weekend two was awesome. Oh my goodness, it was at Dance Mission in San Francisco. And so this week, week three is in Oakland, and uh, you don't want to miss it. Again, it's at Mills College, a, a new collaboration. Um, and you can go online and, and find out all the details, but you don't want to miss it. So I had an interview with uh, some of the choreographers um, for a Black Choreographers Festival, the 16th season, um, 2020. And so um, this is a rebroadcast of those conversations. Some of the pieces you missed and some are going to be this weekend. Enjoy. Hey, Raisa, how are you? I'm good. Thank you, Wanda. Hi. Yeah, so you're joined. Everyone uh, is here. Uh, Raisa Simpson, Jamie Ray Wright, and Natalia. How do you pronounce your last name, Natalia? Show. Yeah, and Natalia, you are kicking off the 16th annual Black Choreographers Festival here and now this Saturday um, yeah. and Sunday at Safe House Arts. It's like, oh, my God, with a solo of an evening-length solo performance work um, called, um, where are my notes? I'm not seeing my notes. Called, called Reunion. What? Right, Reunion. Reunion. Yeah, yeah. Why, why don't we let you start? Um, uh, let me let me read your bio, a little bit of your bio, which people can, um, can read online. But um, you were born and raised in Los Angeles. And you are a freelance dancer, choreographer, and teacher, and you believe that embodiment of ideas coupled with individual interpretation can allow movement to serve as a catalyst for truth. Uh, you've acquired immense knowledge from participation in Alonzo King, King's uh, Lines uh, BFA program at Dominican University of California. And um, and I believe um, uh, Raisa um, Simpson was um, was like a mentor, um, for you, uh, I remember uh, you had a work at Safe House, Safe um, House Arts, and 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 Risa's baby was a baby, baby. Yeah. And and she was there in in the in the in the space, you know, with the baby, and you were on, you know, dancing, and yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a lovely experience and a lovely time for connection. 
And mm-hmm. this time around, we don't have mentors, but the, the impetus for reunion started with the desire to really want to challenge my body and work with artists who I admired and who I really wanted to learn from. So I reached out to three friends who all agreed mm-hmm. to work with me and to help me to co-choreograph an evening. And it's been a journey since then. Um, lots of growing, learning, shedding old habits, facing truth. And, yeah, I've been working hard since November, so I'm really excited for this weekend to come into a culmination. And, yeah, I'm just really excited for this weekend. Mm-hmm. And and tell us the names of your three friends and and um, how long is an evening length solo? Is it like 90 minutes, um, an hour? Well, this, evening, like, this evening length solo is 25 minutes. Not too okay. long, um, but also it doesn't feel too short either. So it's 25 minutes, mm-hmm. and there's going to be a just a rough talk back session afterwards, just to get um, audience perspectives and feelings. But the three choreographers that were commissioned are Charbel Rohayam, which I met in the Lanza King Lines BFA program, Jane Selna, whom I met in my last um, BCF uh, mentorship program. She was the woman I choreographed a solo on, and Bianca Stephanie Mendoza, who her and I met through a process earlier in August last year. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. And um, any any special music um, to accompany your uh, solo work reunion, and uh, and what what does what's happening in the piece? Is it is it dance story? Is it interpretive? Is it like the title reunion can mean a lot of things to different people. Well, for me, reunion is an invitation back to myself. So it's an exploration mm-hmm. of myself and my strengths and my talents and and the love that I'm gaining and having for myself. So reunion is an invitation for me, but also an invitation for all of us to come back to ourselves and to find what brings us joy and love and all things mm-hmm. grand. But I know oh, I didn't really answer your first question. What was your first question? Mm, I don't remember it anymore. Um, oh, you asked, question. like, what what was the music and the dance moves? Oh. I'm going to have to mm-hmm. leave that up to surprise. If you'd like to know what it's like, I feel you should come. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's... Okay, no problem. <laughs> um, are you going to have live music? Like is it gonna oh, the no. music musicians are they gonna be um right there in in the space with you in the in the studio? No, the musicians won't be present. Okay, okay. Ah, that sounds wonderful. Wow. And how does it feel to be opening the sixteenth uh, annual festival? Um, it's an honor, um, and it just feels like. Everything I'm doing must be done with humility and with honesty and with the courage and strength to carry our black legacy forward. So I feel very honored, but I also feel very capable to launch the start of a festival. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, so Risa, since since you have a relationship with Natalia, um, um, maybe I'll have you go next and if you want to talk about 
you know, sort of that relationship, you can as well. Um, but you have an excerpt of a piece called The Motley Experiment um, that you are going to um, be, uh, is it debuting? Um, well, I think that, um, you know, just to go back to my relationship with um, Natalia, um, mm-hmm. we still every now and then grab tea or coffee. <laughs> and that, um, so it's been really great because I wasn't able to see uh, the process because I think I was delivering or, or something or I had the baby and I don't know, something happened newborn and as a mom I'm still sort of transitioning into um, that life as mom and choreographer so yeah there's a lot more experiments than Motley going on I think (laughs) Mm -hmm. so um, the Motley experiment is an excerpt of a work in progress and um, unfortunately I can't say too much about it because I'm heading to rehearsal right now to create it. <laughs> oh, but seriously? In oh. response to um, Archibald Motley's painting. So it's a response piece oh. to his painting. And if you're not familiar with Archibald Motley, he's a jazz modernist painter. Mm-hmm. And he never lived in Harlem, but he's part of the Harlem Renaissance. So um, I came upon his work early on and had the chance to see it um, in L.A. when I was there. And I was just kind of struck by how the colors that he used were all done with the intention of portraying black nightlife and jazz scenes. And I just thought that was really beautiful to paint dark skin at night in a very humanistic way. I'm not one that's exposed a lot of painters when it comes to um, the 1920s. He lived from the 1920s all the way to 1980. I'm more um, accustomed to seeing photographs of people or video. So to see this art sort of like come alive and jump out at me, I felt like I needed to respond to it in some sort of way. So I'm developing this experiment and the intention is for this to be a multi-year project. Um, but for BCF, what you'll see is the very first section of the piece. Mm-hmm. And the music is by Idris Ackermore. And somewhere along my timeline, he'll be playing that music live. But for BCF, you'll hear um, his also first draft of a piece that is in response to the painting. So all the collaborators mm-hmm. and all the dancers were all responding to this piece and we're doing it in an intentional way so that um, we bring in resources and research to rehearsal in order to tell this story. Hmm. Wow, that sounds really wonderful. And and I I noticed that the work is slated to premiere at the Bayview Opera House uh, next month, uh, March 27th through 29th. That is true. The Baby Opera House, they've really been sort of like a launch pad for me. They're doing something where um, they're building out these residencies for me to make work and also supporting it through funding as well. 
And we've been able to create some new work, which in this day and age can feel like <laughs> just an achievement in itself. And I feel as though this is what artists need. They just need a space to make work. A lot of times we see art as like an economic exchange. It's like you, the artist, write the grant, find the space, get the L, the lighting designer and the tech crew, and you present it and you put it together. But they want their space to be used what it was meant for, which is creating art. So it's just a different approach to thinking that is working out really well. And it's definitely 50-50. We're doing the work, and that's what's important. But they're also doing the work um, to make sure that art is being created. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And and uh, I noticed that this work um, you are actually uh, closing out the um, Black Choreographers Festival um, here and now at Mills College, which is a new uh, collaborating um, institution with Black choreographers. Um, not that it doesn't already have a relationship <laughs> with uh, with uh, one of the uh, founders. Um, Laura Elaine Ellis, who is an alum of of uh, Mills, but um, and, and so many other dancers <laughs> and choreographers. But um, yeah, that that March seventh uh, through eighth um, closing um, weekend is going to be pretty phenomenal. And and then because um, the BCF is actually moving between three spaces, um, Jamie, your your um, piece is going to be at um, the longtime supporter and collaborator Dance Mission Theater, um, you know, on Sunday, I guess March 1st, and, and that weekend starts on February uh, 29th. And then Safe House Arts, again, is this weekend, February 22nd through 23rd, and that features uh, Natalia Schof all by herself in this reunion, right? <laughs> so it's going to be pretty, pretty phenomenal. Um you know the the work that is um being presented there's so many so many wonderful choreographers um that are part of this this uh annual um event that we really look forward to and actually it takes place more than just this weekend um black choreographers has a sort of a a late summer early fall you know um presentation and and you never know where black choreographers festival uh, is going to be showing up. Um, so anyway, <laughs> so that should be pretty cool. Oh, and also, uh, Risa, um, before we move to Jamie, is um, you are on the same bill as um, um, as um, gosh, Robert Moses Kin. Like you are together. Like you're in the same bill as as peers. Isn't that cool? And and he was your mentor, right? Yeah, when I started out my career here in the Bay Area, I danced with Robert, and he's celebrating 25 years, which congratulations, Ken, I love you, (laughs) you're amazing. Um, Push is celebrating 15, which is nowhere near that type of milestone, so we're taking our 15. Wow. Yeah, we're going to take our 15 to just like, we're going to say it's a visioning here, so we're calling it 15 forward. We're going to envision what will look like in 15 years in the future. But um, I'm all for it. 
I'm here to celebrate with them, and I look forward to March 7th and 8th, and I've never performed at Mills, so I'm also looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. Right. Wow, wow. And, and Jamie Ray Wright, um, you have a, um, a premiere Delta Crossroads. That sounds intriguing. Let me uh, let me tell our audience a little bit about you. Um, uh, you are a uh, former musician, a graduate from Stanford University with a BA in economics, and the University of San Francisco with an MBA in marketing. I went to USA. That's correct. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got a, a a master's in writing from them. Uh, you have served as a member of the board of directors since 2006 for Robert Moses Ken. Oh, and Push. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I serve uh, a family here. Definitely. That is so awesome. Um, I'm sure that was arranged on purpose. You know, I'm sure John did that on purpose, but it's wonderful uh, <laughs> to have family in the house. But I think, I don't know, the arts and dance community seems to be really you know, family, uh, just sort of in general, particularly the BCF family. And you go way back with uh, Black Choreographers. Do you go back 16 years with Black Choreographers Festival? Were you in the first the first performance? I'm not sure if I was in the first one, but I was certainly early on. I think the first time mm-hmm. I uh, showed was maybe 2007. Uh, okay. So uh, it was just, it's been quite a while, maybe maybe a year or two before that. Uh, mm-hmm. The Dance Right Project, my company's been around for about 15 years, and we have been uh, oh. producing our own shows. Uh, for the, We're coming up on our 12th season. But uh, the work that I'm presenting for uh, BCF and the work that I often present for BCF is rooted in my, uh, in my childhood. Uh, my childhood was filled with music. Uh, my, par- you know, my parents uh, had recordings of all kinds of things, even even those old 78s, which uh, probably uh, our younger folks would not even know about, these uh, uh, wax records that had to be played on special machines. And uh, I, I used that music as a way to, uh, uh, number one, tell my story as a, uh, as a person and to uh, uh, hopefully tell the story of uh, African-American people in the United States. Uh, Delta Crossroads, Utilizes music, uh, 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 Delta blues music from uh, uh, Southern Mississippi and uh, uh, Louisiana. Uh, these folks are uh, uh, people who would uh, play music for fun after work, and uh, mm-hmm. were uh, discovered by uh, music colleges. There's probably a troubled history there. It's a uh, uh, double-edged sword as far as this discovery, but it's what brought. Uh, uh, this kind of music to the public, and it's the basis of the Chicago blues and the uh, Memphis blues that we know today. Uh, largely acoustic music, uh, and uh, right now I'm going. I'm working on the uh, Dr. Crossroads, which is a uh, going to be a, a long inch piece, maybe about, uh, and I'll be mm-hmm. doing an excerpt of that at BCF. Huh. and and where will you be um, premiering the? Um the full work. I'll be preparing a full work at Dance Mission Theater, October third and fourth, late late in the fall, uh, during our twelfth okay. anniversary season at Dance Right Project. Oh, nice, nice, yeah, yeah. And um, I was I was looking at your bio and sort of finishing it um, that um, you um, 
you have in 24 views and uh, the pilot program at ODC Theater, collaborations, dance, music at the Cal Theater, and in 11 annual seasons at Dance Mission. Um, I guess you, your work has um, has appeared. And, uh, and you've been commissioned to create works for And Still Dancing and the Opera Frontiers. Um, and your work um, is, uh, the way you, you describe it is this, this particular one, Delta Crossroads, contemporary ballet piece, uh, an ensemble piece, upbeat and nostalgic. Um, so um, is your work, um, for the most part, uh, do you use ballet or do you use other, other dance forms um, in, in your work? And why ballet in this particular one? Ballet is, is, uh, is what I, most of my work is based on, and it's a training that I have. Uh, okay. I have not uh, had a lot of exposure to other dance forms as a dancer. Uh, certainly as a, as a viewer, I have seen a lot. Uh, but uh, I use ballet as a, uh, as a uh, basis. And I think that using this European dance form and then breaking it in different ways in order to, uh, to create something new is uh, what I, I strive to do. Uh, the uh, Delta Crossroads, you know, is is it's a it's a roots it's a roots uh, music uh, piece. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, you know where uh, you know the folks that we know today. If you walk into a uh, a club today and uh, you know see our folks with electric guitars and horns and the like, well, you know at the time it was just a uh, uh, a guitar, a banjo, a uh, uh, harmonica. And it was a, it was very simple, very stripped down. So I, you know, always try to go to the roots of whatever it is that I'm working on in order to uh, to find inspiration and again to hopefully uh, get the people in the audience to be interested in uh, saying, "Wow, that's I've never heard anything like that." Tell me more, and they can try to keep these these forms alive and try to uh, understand the history both the painful and the happy history that goes along with these roots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How how did a, a musician um, find his way into dance? I mean, not that that's a stretch of an imagination, um, but your your training is, you know, economics and, you know, business administration, marketing. It's like, oh, and you're a choreographer and you have a dance company. It's like, wow, okay. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, I've worked in a, a lot of different fields over the years, and I was in marketing for close to 20 years, uh, you know, mm-hmm. working up from selling door-to-door all the way up to becoming a, a marketing vice president at one of the uh, regional banks here. Uh, and, mm-hmm. you know, that it was a creative endeavor in and of itself, and it, it's uh, certainly something that sometimes I miss, but I uh, have left that life behind. Uh I've always been interested in dance, you know, even throughout my, uh, my childhood, it was something that uh, I was interested in, but I uh, did not have as much access to training that other folks had. My, my parents were not, uh, while they uh, loved art and loved music, they were not necessarily uh, keyed into the dance world. Uh, I'm of a certain age, so uh, in the early 70s, there was a television show on uh, PBS called Dance in America where weekly they would talk about uh, various choreographers of the period. Uh, and uh, I dove into that show. I was an early uh, uh, 
subscriber to DS Magazine. Uh, when I got to a point that I had my own money, I would take myself to uh, various dance shows that in my team. So while uh, other folks were going to the movies, and I was uh, going over to, to uh, Zellerback to see uh, the dance performances. And uh, it's just something that's been an interest of mine throughout my life. Uh, I have a tendency when I do something and when I'm interested in something to try to understand it from the inside out. So, uh, and also have a tendency to do things on my own, to just, to just try it rather than uh, uh, necessarily go to a school or anything to, to, to learn it. So I just, I just dove in it one day and said, this is the kind of movement I want to see on stage. How does it work? And uh, that's kind of how I started choreographing. I think uh, to give a shout out to uh, uh, Raisa here, you know, she is very instrumental in actually helping to launch my, uh, my company because in an early show um, many years ago, uh, she invited me to show during one of her seasons, one of her, uh, uh, maybe your first or second season, Raisa, and uh, giving me that opportunity to put something on stage and to, to uh, be pushed to uh, do something in the studio uh, was, a, uh, was certainly a boost to me, and it's a model that I follow now in creating my own seasons. I give other people a chance to, uh, to show during my season, and hopefully they can go off and, uh, and find themselves creatively. Oh, nice. That's really great. Wow. And and do you do you dance as well? Uh no. It's been it's been a while since I danced. I uh I uh just make movement for other people to uh, to dance. Uh <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah. you know, there was a time yeah. when I was t- when I was uh taking class regularly, uh I performed a couple of times for, for uh different people. Uh mm-hmm. but I I feel more comfortable in uh, stepping back and uh, and uh, creating the big picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So we're in our in our final minutes, and um, I think Risa has has gone off to her rehearsal because um, she's not in the studio anymore. <laughs> um, but that was nice. You gave her a shout out. Um, so I was wondering. Um, Natalia, um, if you want to say a little bit more about reunion and um, and and Jamie, I want to know if you want to talk about your your company. You know, the women or men or both that are going to be um, sort of um, you know that you set this work on. Oh, certainly. Right. Uh, would Natalia, you'd like to go first? Sure. Um, all I want to say is um, thank you to all those who have listened today about reunion, and I. I hope that you can come out and support. Um, it's, it's just a dream that's coming into reality, and I'm really thankful. So, yeah, that's it. <laughs> right, yeah. So we have to that's show it. up so we can see the uh-huh. music and see what it looks like. Ah, and uh, yeah. so the invitation to oneself. Yeah, it sounds beautiful. I really like your work, yes. too. Thank yeah, you. Nice, nice. Mm-hmm. I hope to see you there. Yeah, I'm trying to figure it out. There's so much happening this month and so much happening this weekend. It's like, oh, okay, yeah. all right, so i got to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> but I have to go. I'm on my way to teach, but I want to say thank you for having me on this morning, and thank you uh, to all the listeners, and thank you, Jamie, as well, for your words. And well, Rachel, too, but she's off. But. All right, you take care. Have a good rest of the day, Natalia. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
Bye. Bye. Well, I also, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm very grateful. I'm grateful to the uh, to the dancers that have worked with me. Uh, one of my dancers mm-hmm. has actually been a member of my company since the very beginning. She's a founding member. And, uh, nice. we've, you know, game, we've had ups and downs and, you know, life. You know, interesting when you when you work with someone, uh, mm-hmm. they not only become uh, people that, that dance for you and that sort of thing, but they, they become a part of your family. And uh, that is uh, been great to have this long-term relationship with this particular dancer. And uh, folks within the company, I think this uh, have been with me at least four or five years. So it's a good tight group that will be dancing this particular work. My company ranges mm-hmm. from uh, four to nine people, depending on what it is I'm showing. I'm going to be showing with four dancers this time around. And uh, okay. we're in the midst of actually creating the work now. We're not we're not nearly done. But hopefully uh, mm-hmm. uh, we'll make a good showing and uh, and uh, mm-hmm. keep some interest on, on March 1st. Nice, nice. So what are the names are of your... Uh, dance company members who are the one who goes back to 15 years, I would presume, to the beginning, and and the other three artists that are joining you in this work, um, Delta Crossroads. Well, uh, my long-standing dancer, her name is Allison Abriel. Uh, like I said, she's been with me since the uh, since the beginning, and has gone through a lot of different uh, creative uh, uh, doors with me. Uh, mm-hmm. the, uh, Emily Shoup has been with me around six years. Uh, she is a uh, uh, very athletic dancer. She uh, she studied with uh, uh, Abby Miller of Dance Moms, which is a, a very interesting uh, jump for her. She certainly has some uh, great stories during the lulls in the uh, in the studio about that relationship. Uh, another is uh, Beth Lim, who is with, with Peninsula Ballet Theater and has been with me for uh, I think four seasons. And uh, the last is Jen Mayakawa, who uh, is uh, a passionate dancer, has been with me for three seasons. Uh, uh, in her uh, other life, she is a uh, 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 gynecological nurse. She helps bring babies into the world. So the, wow. the uh, <laughs> uh, balance yeah. between those two, I think, uh, mm-hmm. is what keeps her focused on, on, on both, you know, the uh, life-giving yeah. of uh, working as a nurse and also the uh, – uh, uh, nourishing of the soul that art has given her. So uh, these are four very strong dancers, and I'm looking forward to uh, to seeing the finish of my uh, piece on stage with them. Wow! Yeah, sounds really awesome. Well, it's really, really a pleasure to have you on the air. I don't, I don't know if I've ever had you on the show before, but I really admire your work. So this has been really wonderful to hear about Delta Crossroads, and, and hopefully, you know, we'll we'll have more conversations, uh, maybe another one closer to October um, when, you know, I you have, um, that. yeah, that'd be really super, and, uh, yeah, well, good luck with the process, and, uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing it. Well, I want to thank you for having me on, and uh, I, what You're a pleasure welcome. it was to be, uh, be on with uh, Natalia and with Reza. Reza's an old and uh you know, I, I really appreciate having this time to uh, to reconnect on the air here. <laughs> oh, you're quite welcome. We can definitely have a, an encore for sure. <laughs> All right. You take good care. Well, and, um, yeah, good luck in the process of creating this wonderful work. Thank you so much. All right. You take good care. And um, so uh, March 1st, right? 
March 1st, 7 o'clock. The dance mission. Looking forward to seeing you all here, Dance Mission Theater. Uh, <laughs> okay. You take good care. <laughs> Thank you so much, Wanda. You're welcome. Peace and blessings, Jamie. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. So we are joined in the studio by three other choreographers. Oh, my goodness. It's so exciting. Uh, Dana E. Uh, Fetchit, is that how you pronounce your last name? Fitchit is right. Yeah, good morning. Fitchit. Oh, Fitchit. Okay. And Gabriel Christian. Hey. Hi. <laughs> and Hi, then um, uh, Shibizu. Shibize? Shib- no. God. Shibweze, yeah. Yes. Crouch. Hi. Hi. You would think it's like, okay, I've been practicing, right? <laughs> so how are how is everyone? Oh my goodness. Black choreographers. So Sixteen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yes. Yes. Hey y'all. Hey. Yeah, it's a good crew. Hey Dana. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having us. <laughs> yeah. Good morning, everyone. Yeah. Good morning. Good morning. So people that that missed um missed you all um you missed mouth mouthful um can catch a little excerpt um uh, with black choreographers. Mm-hmm. That's well. That's how it works. Works sometimes. So that's nice. <laughs> so let me read your bios and then we can talk about your work. Uh, so Dana, um, you've worked in schools and in arts education and social justice focused organizations with roles ranging from direct classroom work, dance education and family organizing to event management, arts administration and marketing and communications. A multidisciplinary artist with a master's of fine art in interdisciplinary art and a bachelor's degree in urban studies, Dana writes makes visual art, teaches movement classes, choreographs and directs movement for liberation, a project based dance collective. Dana seeks and finds endless lessons in study of the African diaspora, literature, human engagement, and nature, and splits time between the Bay Area, New York, and Boston. So where are you now? What Are you in the Bay Area, or are you in New York, or are you in Boston? <laughs> I'm in Oakland. Yeah, I'm in Oakland right now. Um, oh, you're I in the Bay presently. Okay, because you know, yes. we're on the phone. I you could be anywhere. Music, um, <laughs> yeah, I try to music with them, so <laughs> I stay away yeah. from the snow. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, I'm here in Oakland. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. And and um you write that all your pursuits are unified by an explicit concern for moving our individual and collective realities closer to liberation. And so you've got a yes. why don't you tell us about this particular work and um their excerpts um for yes. evening length work and I don't know if it's gonna be premiering somewhere, but hopefully it will be. But why don't you tell us about Rooted and Rejoice? For sure. So thank you. So the 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 show that it's that these two pieces are excerpts from premiered um, at the end of last month at Eastside Arts Alliance in Oakland. Um, oh, we already is- missed it. Oh. Yeah, it's okay. I, I'm pretty sure it'll go up again. Um, we're trying to move around. We had a great opening show, incredible weekend um, in community that just really felt like the type of work I want to be making for the audience I want to be making it for and, and having the impact I really want to have in the world. So it was a very humbling experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the first time I ever presented a full night of my own work. Um, mm-hmm. But the show itself is called Never Found, Never Lost. And my work is really not very um, directly narrative work. 
it's really about um, kind of about conjuring and about um, healing through movement and putting that on stage. And, and I work primarily with um, black women, queer women, um, and just the, the power of committing to our own healing and liberation through this movement practice and what that can represent um, and what it can inspire in other people is really a beautiful affirmation of this belief that I have that if we take care of ourselves in really um, <laughs> what are tragically revolutionary ways because of the, the way our society and culture can shape and minimize us and, and wound us, um, I'm just seeing the return on that investment in my own healing and how that can have a ripple effect into other folks' healing as well, um, not just the folks who I work with but also the people who receive the work. So Rooted and Rejoice are you know, it'll, it's interesting to put them on stage out of context, out of this longer piece that was multidisciplinary, had video work and, and live performance and some audio as well. Um, but there are two, one's a quartet, rooted as a quartet to a Hugh piece called Child of the Earth. Um, and the other is Rejoice, it's to Toast, a much more contemporary song by young reggae artist Coffee, first woman to win the, the Grammy for Best Reggae Album this year. Um, and they're just really pieces that are, like I said, they're not they're not linear narratives. Rooted is is inspired by the song itself, which is all about being grounded in nature and being a child of the earth. And um, and rejoice is what it sounds like as well. It's really a rejoicing piece. It's to this upbeat, um, popular reggae track, and um, there are five dancers in it and. All of the work is kind of about pattern and sequence and number and relationship um, on stage. So, and for the first time, I'm not I'm not performing in my work, which is the, the unusual mm. thing for me. So I have five mm. dancers, beautiful people who will be carrying this work for me on stage. Mm. Mm-hmm. And in your work, um, as well as uh, Gabriel and uh, Chipwese, uh is going to be at Dance Mission Theater. Um, February 29th and March 1st. Yours is both days, uh, Dana, but uh, Gabriel and Chipwese, your work is only Sunday, which is kind of fitting, you know, considering what it's about yeah. and where it takes place. Is that on purpose? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, we didn't curate it, it like but I think that's a, a, yeah, a good call from Laura Ellis, who's the curator for this festival. So I'm sure she was thinking about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And um for our our uh I guess that didn't get a chance to hear our great conversation in two parts. Um Gabriel Christian <laughs> uh they them is an American artist bred in New York City. Uh let's see, Wapinger uh Lenape Land. Um mm-hmm. and Bacon in Oakland, uh Chiochenyo Ohlone Land. I like that. That's really nice. Um, in your bio, this is the first time I've ever read, you know, someone talking about the indigenous people in their bio. Chaboise like, has it too. Yeah, Chaboise has mm-hmm, it. I do. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, I haven't got there yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, it makes sense. You know, you all are a team. Um, for more right. than two years, uh, their work has metabolized the vernaculars with black uh, BL. Diaspora, futurity, and Afro How do you pronounce it? Afro Yeah, Afro-vivalism. Thank you. Yeah. Afro 
Oh, my, this is great. Uh, Faggotry through high dramatic structured improvisation, poetics, and collaborative practices. Moreover, they feel the bio to be in the unfortunate lineage of value models like chattel slavery. Like, okay. Let's let that sink in. Okay. Yes. Uh, yeah. Chibweze Crouch is a Nigerian-American performance teaching artist born in, on uh, Pocasset land, uh, Danbury, Connecticut. So you reverse it. You, you give. Mm. I, I like this. Your vibes are nice. <laughs> <laughs> but you give it the the original people sort of present. It's like okay, and now they call it this: the, the conquer, you know, the colonizers. Currently living on um, uh, Cochinio Ohlone land, Oakland, California. Her creative practice straddles theater and ritual, examining diasporic longing, uh, Igbo uh, cosmology, and constructions of queer identity through masquerade, song, text, and live performance. Her work is a slow trickle of blood sliding down your forearm, the sweetest juice of an overripe fruit. You almost don't notice it until it stains your good shirt, then you can never forget where it came from. <laughs> and they are performing excerpts from their evening length work, Mouthful, a personal exploration of spirituality within and outside of religious institutions that they describe as a new mass where we can feel truly whole and holy. All righty, so... Tell us about it again, and um, and how you're gonna do it in this space. I'm just like, wow, that's gonna be interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I would say um, this, is the, this is sort of the first time that we've done. Um, although we've done, like, we did like a little preview of it, like a deconstructed version of this piece. Um, mm-hmm. I've been called the feedback at Joe Good a few maybe last week, and um, okay, and I feel like yeah, this version is not gonna be the version you necessarily saw. Um, Wanda, but the, it's going to be. So I think it'll definitely be pulling parts. I think what's beautiful about this year is that this piece is sort of being curated into a few different things, um, and so we're going to um, be sort of like using these showings as I feel like not work in progress, but just sort of like digging in deeper to certain parts that we didn't have a chance to really mm-hmm. explore in the shorter show we did in December. Um, because in June we have a larger, longer version of it going up in the National Queer Arts oh. Festival. Um, at Grace Cathedral and hopefully at Glide Memorial Church also. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, what's the date on that again? We're still getting the dates, but one of them should be the 19th. But you will you'll hear from us soon about the exact dates as we iron out the the venues. At Grace yeah. Cathedral, like for real? Mm-hmm. Grace yeah, Cathedral for real. A... That one's a definite. Yeah. Yeah, and and is that the, is that the the backdrop of the photo? Exactly. Yes, it is. So it's like Actually, all full circle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my god, like, for real. Like, that's gonna be so yeah. awesome. Oh wow, wow, wow. But yeah, that's... Dan's mission it's definitely gonna be a little different as Gabe was saying, kind of a little bit more of a deconstruction of some of what you saw at um Counterpost mm-hmm. Wanda, but also yeah. kind of uh-huh. expanding certain parts, certain movement parts as also, as well as some of our testimony um in a deeper mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ah, wow. And and will you be have like that special um section for the black people, the African people, the people that identify as Yeah. That's a great question. I think we're trying to figure out based on the venues, uh, how exactly we want to do that or if we're gonna have a different kind of seating arrangement, um, whether it's a dance mission or at Grace Cathedral, because obviously the space is different and we can't always bring all the same set pieces as we had in the first piece. Mm-hmm. 
But that's something mm-hmm. that me and Gabriel are talking about as we get in the space and as we work out um, how we want to perform it for these next two iterations. Yeah, mm-hmm. what will be interesting is that yeah. this also will be just, we'll just, this will just be the duet. It won't be like, we don't have any guest artists for this version, but mm-hmm. I think okay. it's going to be us really leaning into the, um, the part of the show yeah, that you saw that was, um, I feel like, I mean, there's a few things we have to just figure out in terms of timing. We have a very short amount of time, so it's mm-hmm. nice to be able to show maybe just the duet part of our work that we did last time. For dance we'll, we'll hit, Yeah, yeah, for dance mission. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And and we just having this inside conversation. So, yeah, could you talk mm-hmm. a little bit more about the work? <laughs> yeah. Uh, for our audience? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's um it's an exploration of space um, coming from two black queer artists who both have very different relationships to the church and grew up in church, um, but have left or had different relationships with spirituality as adults. Um, in our original counterpost, we had uh, 11 different artists that we worked with who kind of did these praise breaks during the middle of the show. Each show was kind of structured sort of like a, a church service where Gabriel and I presented our testimonies through movement and song and through ritual at the beginning of the show. And then towards the end, we have these praise breaks of different featured artists. <clears throat> um, and for dance mission, as Gabe said, it'll just be the two of us um, doing pieces from the show, most likely some movement scores and other things like that. But for our full evening length show at National Queer Arts Festival, we um, are going to have ourselves as well as two other artists, um, Rashad Pridgen of Global Street Dance Masquerade and Uzong Wangkapa, oh. um, a performance artist and nurse, actually, practicing nurse um, who does healing arts, who will both be featured in the show as praise breakers um, and co-collaborators in certain parts. Um, so it's going to be a longer show while also a much smaller show at the same time because we had a lot of people um, in that original production. And we also had, as Wanda said, special kind of seating. Um, we had all our black participants, audience members as well, um, on stage with us with these pews that we got for our show that really made it feel like a church space. Um, but obviously now for Dance Mission, we're going to be in Dance Mission, which is a different venue. And then for our eventual evening length show, we're going to be in an actual church. So that's going to change a lot how that seating and those kind of things will happen. Um, do you want to add any more, Gabe? I that covered a lot, yeah. Yeah. I think that's what's important is that we're kind of questioning, you know, where, where, our, where our faith is now, what keeps us alive. Those are kind of big questions, mm-hmm. you know. And so um, maybe community is the answer. Maybe it's each other. There's, I think the answer is still up in the air, but the piece seeks to, act, to sort of get the question out there, what keeps us alive. And many times mm-hmm. people say that it's church or it's community or it's the spirituality. So I think we're in this okay. place of, like, navigating our own version of that exactly as to um, diasporic artists from different sort of parts of uh, of the of the diaspora. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Hmm. Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in our in our closing minutes, um, Dana, do you you want to talk a little bit more about your work? It seems that um, yeah, that you know the three of you um, on the air at the same time um, that your work. Uh, sort of philosophically, you know, sort of shares some of the mm-hmm. same values. Have you ever worked together, um, like on in creating anything? We 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 work in orbits around each other, and we work yeah. together in relationships. <laughs> um, yes, I, <laughs> I yeah, love Dana's have, work. I, I was I took Dana's. Oh, go ahead, Dana. Sorry. No, you go ahead, Gabe. We love I your was work. Say, yeah. We love your work, and we also, <laughs> we also, yeah, they also an incredible teacher and uh, leads these classes. I think weekly, is that right? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, my classes. 
Yeah, yeah, I can say. Yeah, no, we we do have. We definitely, Wanda, you are absolutely right that we have a lot of philosophical overlap. I think um, that's one of the beautiful things about being here in Oakland for me is is encountering these very like-minded kindred spirits who are making work that's really grounded in the same principles and the beautiful diversity of the work that comes out of that same orientation. Um, so I feel that kind of kinship with Chibwe Zane Gabriel for sure. Um, yeah. And, yeah, these these classes, but were you going to say something, Gabe? No. no. <laughs> so these classes, um, these classes are really, really a product of my continued grounding in my own healing and, and commitment to doing what felt right for me in the dance world. And my, my background in dance, I started in ballet at age three at a really pretty strict traditional ballet school. And my big sister was also a dancer, and I um, – I, I grew a little rebellious as a result of a lot of what I encountered in that world and how it didn't feel like it sat well with me. And I actually ended up landing in nightclubs and underground house music clubs in New York when I was pretty young. And um, that just changed my whole relationship to movement and exploration of sound and embodying sound and, and what it means to really be present with movement rather than to imitate the canon of movement. Um, mm-hmm. So that's what my practice is grounded in. And that's also what my classes, these movement classes that I teach, um, weekly at Oak Stop in Oakland um, are also grounded in this just healing relationship to movement, and, and folks tend to get an experience that 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 is reflected back to me as really one that that helps to mend their relationship to to movement, and particularly to movement in the studio setting, which can just be, um, you know, not to sound extreme about it, but I really believe that there's a very co- colonial relationship to the way that we exist in dance studios and on dance stages rather than in these clubs that I come from, which are very black, very queer places um, that allow for a lot more liberation in my experience. So I try to channel some of that into my creative process in the more, you know, quote unquote, formal dance worlds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell us, tell us a little bit more about, about these courses that these classes that you teach at Oak Stop, um, like, is there a website? when it happens, yeah. people who are interested. Um, yeah, so the classes are called Groovement. It's a it's an explicitly Afrocentric and queer centric space, so all people are welcome. Um and Tuesday nights from six thirty to eight PM. Um the information can be found on Oakstop's website and social media and also on my Instagram and I'm just findable by my name, Dana Fixit, um, everywhere. So that's um yeah, they're going on at least through next month, through March, um, but okay. we'll probably extend them for the spring as well. And they're really, they're all level classes. It's a broad range of dance, like different types of dance experience, relationships to movement and movement. It's just beautiful. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. Thanks. And um, yeah. uh, Gabriel and Kibweze, uh, um, any um any concluding thoughts um, on on this iteration of of the work, mouthful, um, and uh, just sort of about your aesthetic and and just sort of just at this particular point in time, you know, there's so much happening, um, you know, in the world and in this country, mm-hmm. you know, um, I think something just happened. The Boy Scouts of America want to um, do a chapter uh, nine. Um, you know, they want to. Um, what do they want to declare bankruptcy? Because oh, mm. you know there have been so many so many charges leveled against the the organization about uh, you know uh, about um, you know sexual uh, um, 
violence against boys. They're being sued, like right and left. Um, yeah, so it's like, whoa, the mm-hmm. Boy Scouts, really? The Boy Scouts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, but then, you know, you think about the Catholic Church, too, right? But then you think about other, mm-hmm. I mean, like, you <laughs> just think about these formal bodies, period, you know, just sort of the same thing, something about this sort of formalizing these structures sort of leaves them open to such abuse, right? The people that right. are part of these institutions, um, because the institution is it's not real anyway, it's just a form. Like people sort of disappear and 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 get, you know, really taken advantage of in horrible ways. And then we have art, right? And we have yeah. these these truths being um being fashioned in a way that one can digest them, even if they're hard. And so, you know, you're mm. deconstructing something that mm. is really um, primary to a lot of people's lives, right? You know, like mm. their faith, like, whoa, really? What happens? I mean, you know, yeah, you no. say something, and in your in your in your um, uh, in your narrative, Shabi's way, um, like about about God, and it's like, okay. We're seated. <laughs> Do I need to lie down, right? Do I need to get up? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, That's just my I mean, position. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, those histories of violence that you just named are a very critical part of these church spaces, like any institution, right? Like you were saying, it's mm-hmm. they're not necessarily, they're created to uphold this spiritual practice that people have, but the institution themselves um, can often be very false or harmful or harsh um, as a vehicle for that faith or as a container for that faith and that practice. And so I think Mm -hmm. one thing that Gabriel and I are thinking a lot about as we perform this piece again, and we were thinking about in the last version, um, was just how do we hold that violence, hold that those very fraught histories while also acknowledging that, as you said, this is a very primary part of people's lives. People structure their whole lives around church and spaces like that um, because there is something that brings that continuously brings people back despite that violence. There's a community, there's a catharsis, there's relationships within those spaces that people do return to, um, and that can, you know, sometimes have at least the the core of it for some folks can sometimes be a positive thing, even with those harmful structures. Um, and so, yeah, we are really thinking about how do we deconstruct, like hold and understand those violent histories and deconstruct those institutions and violent histories to get to the core of what spirituality and what faith spaces can be, especially for marginalized. What are the ways that we've transmuted that pain and that grief into something that actually does hold us up while also acknowledging that the thing, the the structure itself might not be the only way to do something. Um, so it's something that we're thinking about a lot as we do this again and as we, we work through new versions of the piece and something that we were grappling with, I think, in the last piece as well. Yeah, just to um, back on that, I think it's just also really great to. I mean, being in this in this festival, this Black Architecture Festival, feels like such a interesting sort of honor, like to be around other Black art makers, other Black mm-hmm. dance art makers who are doing, I think, the work of of galvanizing community in the way that we're hoping to do, and the in the work that we make. Mm-hmm. I think like having Black folks on stage with us at Counterpulse for that last iteration was a response to the lack of black audience or black folks in general yep. in that theater yep. space. And so I think this festival will be very different because we're working already to work, kind of already preaching to the choir that is us and asking again, yeah. what kind of faith have we inherited from these things that are maybe imposed on, on us through colonization, through due diasporic mm-hmm. um, sort of like a forgetting that I feel like we actually have found ways to maintain some really, some really brilliant ways of 
being in um, in community and in liberation and also in solidarity, despite having sort of these mm-hmm. imposed institutions that we that we put our trust in. So, uh, not to say that Christianity uh, doesn't have, of course, a lot of spaces where it's producing really beautiful minds, really beautiful voices, really beautiful art. But there's a question that has to be asked about what exactly, you know, what ways ha- have has that become uh, a stand-in for things that used to be just other people. We used to look, really love and, and mm-hmm. hold our faith to other people, and now it's moving towards perhaps another place, which is beyond our mm-hmm. beyond our claim. And I'm I'm just curious about mm-hmm. that person. I know Tracy has a similar question. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, we are out of time, unfortunately. Um, but this has been this has been a really really great teaser for our audience, and they definitely <laughs> need to get over to um, Dance Mission for the second um, week of Black Choreographers Festival 16th yes. anniversary season. Um, uh, February 29th, the Leap Year Day, yeah, and um, yeah. and March 1st, um, which is <laughs> the only day that you'll be able to catch um, <laughs> uh, Juweze and Gabriel's work um, for the moment until, you know, they do it at Grace Cathedral. You're like, oh, my God, no. and it's going to be um. bigger and different. Every time you do it, it's yeah. different. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I just wanna yeah. I just wanna quickly add to you as a participant in Dana's dance classes, run, don't walk to Oak Stop. They're so much fun. They're really, really okay. great. And Dana's a great teacher. Nice. I just wanna add that in there. I was burning exactly. to say that. Thank you. Yeah. Cool, cool. All righty. Well thanks so much for joining us. It's been really thanks, wonderful everyone. talking to you, you again. And Dana, um definitely want this to not be the last time we speak and I'm going to try to yeah. make it over to one of your classes before they end because I'd like a good dance yeah, class. And so, yeah, we've got, we got, um, yeah, we got some affirmations <laughs> happening in the studio. So it's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right you all know. take good care. <laughs> Thank yeah. you so Thank much. You, <laughs> all right, peace and blessings. <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs> uh, Let's see. Um, Brother Terha, ah, how are you? Good morning. I'm good doing morning. good. <laughs> Great. Yeah, so we are <clears throat> talking, so you're a Community Ready Corps. Are you the founder of Community Ready Corps? I'm one of the founders, yes. One of the founders, yes. okay. And uh, you're like sort of central to um, the organizing of Black Solidarity Week, which began on Monday the 17th. And um, mm-hmm. and it continues continuing. You had a program yesterday. You have a program tonight, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So, so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, okay. and Black Solidarity Week? <clears throat> what's coming up, and how people can find out so they can plug in? Absolutely. My name is Terha Ak. I'm uh, one of the founders of the Community Ready Corps. Um, Born in Monroe, Louisiana, same uh, birthplace of Minister Huey P. Newton. Uh, uh-huh. Been organizing in the Bay Area about um, thirty plus years. Uh, you know, I came to Oakland, California, in order to because of the, the legacy of the party, um, and I came here to specifically organize. So from the day I touched down in the Bay Area till today, we've been organizing and and trying to, in some way. Uh, under the legacy of Minister Huey P. Newton and all of the folks that came before us that believed in investing in and uh, committing 
to our people and our advancement. So uh, I think that that's the most relevant thing about my life uh, is the work and, and attempting to be some type of servant to the community in one form or another. You know, as we grow, we go through different iterations of it, uh, different methodologies we learn, we make mistakes, we, we get up, dust ourselves off, but if we're persistent, we find the right method. So, you know, I think that that's the most relevant thing is that we've been here in the Bay Area putting in work for the past 30 years. Yeah, that's that's really significant. 30 years is a long time. It's a you long know, time. To, and, 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 and I see, you know, I see the members of of uh, Community Ready Corps because, you know, you, you usually um, – you you show up in all black and uh and and we feel safer because one of the things that you do is you teach us how to um how to defend ourselves as well as um as well as an alternative to the um uh the um the structures you know uh that are set up by the, the municipalities like the police we don't need the police cuz we call you all right uh right on <laughs> Right yeah, on. yeah. So that's really, really wonderful, and we we really do feel safe because <laughs> you're us. <laughs> and that means a lot. That means a lot hearing it from the community, uh, and mm-hmm. that's ultimately what Black Solidarity Week is all about. You know, we 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 launched this in 2017 on uh, and and the whole purpose is we launched it on Minister Huey P. Newton's birthday, and then we brought it through the assassination the commemoration of the assassination of Malcolm X or L. Hodge L. Militia Bass. Um, we, we do that because, first of all, these are important dates. Uh, and and what, we, what we hope to do, so Black History Month is a thing, right? And, and, and there's a lot, there's, rightfully so, there's a perspective that black history is 365 days a year, which it is, all day, every day. Uh, but we also take these organizing opportunities for our folks because that is the spirit of Minister Huey P. Newton. The spirit of Minister Huey P. Newton and his intellect, his genius, was was he was an organizer, and he gauged himself on those terms. He gauged himself on how well he could actually do beneficial organizing for the people. And and a lot of Minister Huey's legacy is, is, is misinterpreted, misconstrued. And, of course, there were contradictions and there were problems, but that's, you know, my, my brother said one time, he said, you know, uh, Chairman Fred Hampton Jr. said one time, he said that, that, yeah, there were contradictions. There were contradictions in the party. There were contradictions with Minister Huey. There were contradictions. So, but those same problems exist in white organizations, and they have endured, they're still around, as problematic and predatory as they were. So it couldn't have been the contradictions that destroyed the party. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's important. And that's important because, yes, the contradictions are important. Yes, the state took advantage of the contradictions. But it is 